Welcome to Sermons from Bailey Road. You are about to hear a sermon given at Bailey Road Baptist Church. Bailey Road is a small Bible-believing church located in North Jackson, Ohio, and is pastored by Pastor Aaron Smith. We are dedicated to serving the Lord through our people and through our teaching. We hope you are enlightened by today's message, and again, welcome to Bailey Road Baptist Church. Joshua chapter number 2 is where we're at this morning. Joshua uh, chapter number 2. Oh, I forgot if you're a child and you want to go to children's service. We forgot all about that, didn't we? You did not forget. That's wonderful. I'm so glad uh, in that. So if you have a kid, they want to go, this is the time. Escape uh, or stay, whichever you prefer uh, within that. All right, Joshua chapter number 2. I am going to, uh, to speak this morning uh, as we continue in our series in the book of Joshua uh, Joshua is a book about going forward, and I believe that would be the direction that the Lord would have for us here at Bailey Road Baptist Church would be to, uh, to move forward for Him, uh, and move forward for the cause of Christ, and uh, there, it's a wonderful book that kind of leads us in uh, how to get that done, how to accomplish that. Now, I do understand uh, that uh, as Israel was preparing to conquer uh, the, the land of Canaan, uh, we often, some ref- have referred to Canaan's land as heaven. Uh, Canaan's land is just in sight. Uh, I, I want to go on record to say that I'm not convinced that Canaan is a picture of heaven. Uh, I do believe, however, that the Canaan land victory that, uh, that Israel went through Uh, can be likened to and compared to a victorious Christian life, okay? Uh, A victorious Christian life. And I believe that God wants us to live in victory and to have victory and to be in victory. But as you will see as we move forward through this book and through this, that not every time that Israel went up to do something and accomplish something, that they were victorious. They weren't. They failed. They also did not do everything that God told them to do. Now, if that's not a picture of the Christian life, I'm not quite sure what is. I will tell you, not everything that I've set out to do in my Christian life have I been victorious in, and it is not because of God. Amen? Listen, if we're not victorious, it is not because of God. I don't, I don't know how many times I need to say that. Um, I'm just going to say it twice to hopefully you'll get that there. But we go through this, and we come, and we were here a couple of weeks ago, and I want to thank Trevor uh, last week for filling in uh, while we were out. I'll tell you, I did not see that coming, uh, and, and having to miss, I hate missing uh, because I am sick. Uh, I'd, I, would, I would rather do anything than miss while being sick. Um, but uh, I will tell you, starting on uh, Thursday evening, uh, all the way almost until the next Thursday, uh, I didn't do much of anything. As a matter of fact, uh, I, 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 when I say I missed a week, I mean, I literally missed a week um, of uh, just not knowing what was going on. I didn't really care uh, of what was going on other than uh, I woke up every day saying, oh, it has to be better today, and then it wasn't. Um, and then woke up the next day and said, well, it has to be better today, and then it wasn't. And then just one day I woke up and it was better. Um, and, and here we are today, and so I'm glad to be back. But I thank Trevor for uh, filling in. He did a great job and, uh, in delivering and preparing and, and giving the message and uh, even continuing with the theme of forward. Uh, and, and so I appreciate that and uh, want to continue that again this morning. Uh, now, in this, I do want to speak uh, very deliberately and also very pointedly, if I could say it that way, um, because as we're moving forward, and as I read the Scriptures here, um, you know, back in chapter 1 of Joshua, uh, God prepared Joshua, and He prepared him in a very specific way to move the children of Israel forward. And I will tell you uh, that as God was preparing Joshua, uh, Joshua was nervous, Joshua was even a little bit afraid 
as to what the next steps would be in his life as he was in a place of leading the children of Israel somewhere that they had never been and accomplishing something that had never been accomplished before. And, and he was a little nervous. And he incorporated help. He incorporated all of these things. And by the time uh, we get to chapter 2, he's already told the children of Israel, we're moving forward. We're moving forward. He says, we're moving forward in three days. We're moving forward. So when we come to chapter 2, he is starting to develop a plan of moving forward. And when we come to verse number 1, the Bible says, And Joshua, the son of Nun, sent out of Shittim two men to spy secretly, saying, Go view the land, even Jericho. And they went and came into an harlot's house named Rahab and lodged there. And it was told the king of Jericho, saying, Behold, there came men in hither tonight the children of of the children of Israel to search out the country. And the king of Jericho sent unto Rahab, saying, Bring forth the men that are come to thee, which are entered into thine house. For they be come to search out all the country. The woman took the two men and hid them, and said thus, There came men unto me, but I wist not whence they were. And it came to pass about the time of the shutting of the gate, when it was dark, that the men went out. Whether the men went out, I wot not. And pursue after them quickly. For ye shall overtake them. But she had brought them up to the roof of the house and hid them with stalks of flax, which she had laid in order upon the roof. And the men pursued after them the way to Jordan, unto the fords, and as soon as they which pursued after them were gone out, they shut the gate. And before they were laid down, she came up unto them upon the roof, and she said unto the men, I know that the Lord have given you the land, and that your terror is fallen upon us, and that all the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. For we have heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea for you when you came out of Egypt, and what ye did unto the kings of the Amorites that were on the other side of Jordan, Sihon and Og, whom ye utterly destroyed. And as soon as we heard these things, our hearts did melt. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you, for the Lord your God. He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. Now, therefore, I pray you, swear unto me by the Lord, since I have showed you kindness, that ye will show kindness unto my father's house, and give me a true token, and that ye will save alive my father, my mother, my brethren, my sisters and all that they have, and deliver our lives from death. The men answered her, Our life for yours. If ye utter not this our business, and it shall be when the Lord hath given us the land that we will deal kindly and truly with thee. If you're in the habit of marking in your Bibles, I would encourage you in verse number 14, if you noticed that phrase, as the men answered Rahab, saying, Our life for yours. It's an interesting phrase there, and we'll make reference to it as we move forward in the message this morning. But I'll pause here for sake of time. And I want to preach this morning a message entitled, Planning to move forward. What does that mean? What does that mean? Let's pray together and we'll jump, get started in this today. Heavenly Father, I come to you. God, we need your help here. I pray that 
ask that you would remove any uh, distractions that might be upon my mind this day. Father, that we might be able to focus and concentrate on what your word has to say. Father, that we would pause in this moment to seek your face. For God, we need you. We long for you to do something. We long for folks to respond to the teaching and preaching of your word as it is given. Father, I pray this morning that you would strengthen what needs to be strengthened. I pray that you would remove from our hearts and from our minds that which needs to be removed. That it may be cast down, that our lives and our church may honor and glorify you. Father, give direction where it's needed. That we might move forward in a way that would be pleasing to you, that would honor and glorify you in all that we attempt to do. Father, help us in this. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. As we are jumping into really somewhat of the beginning, but yet still not the beginning of Jewish history. I'd like to kind of go over with you just very briefly a, a course that has been uh, laid out before us as we consider what's taking place in Joshua chapter 2. Of course, this story begins with Abraham. And just real briefly, of course, God uh, came to Abraham hundreds of years before Joshua chapter 2 and uh, encouraged him to follow God. Abraham left his father, he took his, uh, his wife, and he took all of his belongings and everything that he had uh, acquired over the years. He took his nephew and a few servants and left the land of Ur, to follow God to a place that God would give him. And he followed him. And he followed him. With the promise that God would make him the father of many nations. And in that, in that, at nearly 100 years old, God finally, 24 plus years into the promise, answered that promise. Abraham had Isaac. Isaac had Jacob. Jacob went through and had 12 sons, one being Joseph of those 12 that God blessed and used more than any of the others prior. More than Abraham, more than Isaac, more than Jacob. Joseph was used to save his family alive as he went through some turmoil to get there. You may know the story. But all the children of Israel found themselves in Egypt alive because without that they would have been dead. But God saved them. And for several hundred years they dwelt and stayed in Egypt as they became slaves and ran by taskmasters. They cried unto God because of a burden. God raised a man by the name of Moses, told Moses, Moses, go to Pharaoh and tell him, let my people go. And Moses said, I can't do that. God said, yes, you can. They talked for a little while, negotiated a little bit, and finally Moses went to Pharaoh and said, let, God said, let my people go, and Pharaoh said no. Multiple times Moses had to go. The ten plagues come through. Finally, Moses came after that tenth plague and said, God said, let my people go. And finally, Pharaoh said, get out of here. 
Moses led the children of Israel out of Egypt. Of course, you know the story of the Red Sea. As they got to the Red Sea, there was no place to go. Pharaoh had changed his mind, went to get them, slay them, whatever the course may be. And yet, God formed a miracle. The Red Sea parted. Children of Israel walked through on dry ground. Pharaoh's army drowned in the Red Sea as they crossed through. Miracle of miracles. Miracle of miracles. The people rejoiced. We're free, we're free. And not too many days into the journey, they wondered what they were doing there. They wondered why Moses had brought them out of the land of Egypt because they had it so good in Egypt. You brought us out here to die, didn't you? Moses himself didn't have a clue. He had never been there before. So much so that he asked God himself, did you bring them out here to die because that's what they think? We need water. And God provided With every complaint and every uh, deal, God always seemed to provide in the wilderness until God could no longer provide except to say, you're going to wander here until all of you are dead. And then once all of you are dead, then I will give the land that I've promised. There were two that remained. Joshua and his buddy Caleb. And that brings us up to where we're at today. They wandered for 40 years in that wilderness and honestly just waiting on people to die. Except Joshua and Caleb. Now God's coming to Joshua and saying, you're going to take them. You're going to move forward. You're going to cross over Jordan And you're going to take and enter into the land that I have promised. And that brings us to chapter 2 of the book of Joshua. Now, as we move forward through the book of Joshua, we're going to see the children of Israel moving into and obtaining the land that God has promised. They will live. They will dwell. They will be. Joshua's going to die eventually. Judges are going to be raised up. And Israel is going to do that which is right in their own eyes. And the judge is going to die. And Israel is going to do that which is right in their own eyes. God will raise another judge and the cycle will repeat over And over and Israel will repent and come back. The judge will die. They will go back to doing whatever it is they want to do. Then God will raise another judge and so on and so forth over and over and over again. Until one day, Israel is going to say, make us like everyone else. Give us a king. God says, okay. He gave them a king. Saul was his name. Saul disobeyed the Lord, and God said, you're done. They anointed David. You've probably heard of him. David, a man after God's own heart, but yet one that did not always do that which was right. Had multiple children, had multiple issues, sinned even before God and his own family. Yet God still used David and raised up another king after David named Solomon. Solomon was not a man of war, but he was a man of love. Solomon knew how to connect with people. He made connections and friendships with people all over the world. Everyone loved Solomon. Except Solomon. You can find in the book of Ecclesiastes where Solomon admits, I can have everything that I want 
and yet I hate my life. That's what he said. He said, I have men singers, women singers. I have houses over here. I have all the wealth. If there's anything in the world that I see that I want, I can get. And yet I hate my life. You see, God made an agreement with Solomon that if he would do that which was right and follow after and walk in the ways of David his father and turn not from it that God would extend the kingdom, but if he turned from it that God would divide the kingdom. Well, you can imagine what happened. Solomon did not walk in the ways of David his father, but he did turn his heart away from God, and God did just what he said he would. Divided the kingdom of Israel. Ten tribes went this way, and two tribes went this way, and everything split. The divided kingdom grew. Didn't really flourish too much, but it split nonetheless. Then you have two kings, two different issues going on. Sometimes they battled each other, sometimes they battled together. God would raise up prophets that for centuries would cry unto Israel and ask them to repent. Cry. And deliver the message of God. As Jeremiah preached and said, judgment's coming. God's going to be done. He's going to destroy you. They wouldn't listen. And God did just what He told Jeremiah that He would do. And other prophets during that same time would preach messages and try to get their attention, but no one would listen. No one would listen. So they go into captivity for 70 years. Again, slaves and whatnot. Until they got to go home. Bondage was over. And no one really understood why or where and what happened, but they went home and they began to rebuild the city of Jerusalem as it was utterly destroyed. The temple destroyed everything about it. And they followed through, and eventually, as the prophets would die off one by one, Malachi, the last Old Testament prophet, that was it. And then 400 years passed. 400 years, Israel had not heard from God. During that time, as they didn't hear from God, the Roman Empire took over the world. The world. Everything was ruled from Rome. A lot changed in that 400 years. In that time, the Pharisees began to get a stranglehold of control within Jerusalem and within Judaism, within the practices of what they said. The Pharisees studied and understood the law and interpreted the law or the books of Moses. Not always correctly, by the way. But they knew it and added to it. And by the time God was ready for the people to hear, they didn't even understand that it was coming from God. Because on comes the scene, John the Baptist. A man sent from God. And he begins to teach and to preach. The truth. And yet those in religious power said, oh no, that's too different, that's too much. But yet John the Baptist paved the way for Jesus to come. And here comes Jesus. Oh, the light of the world. And Jesus changed the world. He changed it. 
himself. From there, we find the early church and even bring that fast forward modern church today. A lot's changed, hasn't it? If we go back and think about, it's all started with Abraham. Abraham. That's it. To where we're at today. A lot's changed in those years, in those centuries, in those millenniums. Because we're not talking 10 years or 20 years. We're talking thousands of years. And yet God has worked and God has moved and God has brought us to where we are at today. But I want you to notice that in each case, in each section of history, if you will, there have always been changes. There have always been different ways that God has moved and worked. And yet some things have remained the same. And in each instance and in each case, there is one constant thing that God has used and that has been people. God has always used people to reach People. Always. And as we bring our attention back to Joshua chapter 2, I I give you that pretty lengthy introduction and I give you that pretty lengthy history lesson to, to pique your interest to a place where we understand that we must plan to move forward. And as we go through this, and as we see, we're going to use this book of Joshua as somewhat of a map and somewhat as a, as a discourse of how that needs to be done, and a little bit about what does that mean? What does it look like in moving forward? The first thing I want you to see... And again, I I want to speak very deliberately and very purposefully this morning. I don't know that I will be speaking very quickly, so don't get your hopes up on that too much. The first thing I want you to understand in planning to move forward and what that means is we have to understand, we must understand that changes will have to be made. Changes will have to be made. This church is coming up on its 72nd or 73rd anniversary. It's a long time. It's a long time. We don't have the same church that we had when this church came into existence. There are no original members left. We don't have the same church that we had in 1975, do we? It's okay to answer. We're in a totally different location not even the same location. Who was here in 1975? Raise your hand. Nice and high. Nice and high. I want to see. I should have worn my glasses. (laughs) Several of you. All right. Not quite. Probably about a third if I saw correctly. Same church, 1975. Those of you that were here? Yes or no? No. Okay. All right, let's fast forward. 1975, 1995, same church? No. Now, now when I say same church, I'm not necessarily saying same people. I understand Bailey Road Baptist Church, Bailey Road Baptist Church, but how about this? I, I know this, and I've only been here a couple of years, Bailey Road Baptist Church hasn't always been Bailey Road Baptist Church. At one time, Bailey Road Baptist Church was Independent Baptist Church. Amen? Things change, don't they? They change. How about this? 
Has our culture changed since 1975? Amen. Sure it has. Look, no one stays the same. Nothing remains the same. God created man with change. God created man for change. It's okay. We're not the same. But I'll tell you, there are some things that are the same. Amen? While not everything is the same, we have, listen, we have the same God. Amen. We have the same Savior. We have the same book that we learn from, that we grow in. We have the same. So while some things change, there are some things that will never change. God being one of those. We have the same orders from the Lord. Save. Train. Baptize. Rinse and repeat. We have the same orders from the Lord. We don't live in the same culture. As a matter of fact, we live in a postmodern culture. I had to look up and do a little bit of studying on this, just a little bit, but I've heard the term of modernism, and, uh, which started in the late 1800s, and we see the Industrial Revolution taking place, and, and, and again, the culture changing. I think about uh, you know the, the amount of time over the last 150 years, how much has changed in the world, and even in my lifetime, how much has changed. Postmodernism is said to have peaked in the 1960s, or modernism, that is. And so the postmodern time frame is, uh, came about after the 1970s. And is still evolving within and into not just a postmodern culture, but more even in a what is called a post-Christian culture. Post-Christian means that Christianity is no longer the dominant civil religion that affects the assumed values of the culture or the worldview of a society. That's where we're at today. It's changed. So because of these two major changes that are within our culture means that there are certain changes that have to be made in our approach to the culture in which we reach. Sometimes we take for granted as I come through and as I scan the room and look here and see, uh, again, most of you uh, have been around for years. This is not the first time you've heard the story of Joshua, is it? Anybody's first time you've never heard the story of Joshua before? And you feel like raising your hand and embarrassing yourself and uh, all of that. Uh, Now again, you shouldn't be embarrassed if that's the case. You know why? Because we're living in a post-Christian culture. Hey, listen to me. There are people in this world, in this culture, that live in this community that have never heard the Bible story of Joshua. That's the truth. That's what post-Christian culture is. And they're becoming more and more like that. And so we take for granted sometimes that everybody that we reach, that we come in and we talk about David and Goliath. Listen, they've probably heard David and Goliath before. But they have no idea that it came from the Bible. What they know it as is that it's a story about an underdog that beats a bigger dog. You know why? Because they reference David and Goliath every year in March Madness. Some of you don't even know what March Madness is. It's basketball. College basketball tournament. You have the big school that's supposed to win, and they, they're going to win everything, but they have to go up against the little guy, and then the little guy wins. That's a David and Goliath moment. But some have no idea that it's a biblical God story. That's a post-Christian culture. That's who we are to reach in this day and age. 
there's some changes that have been made already, whether we liked it or not. Change comes. Because of that, our approach in reaching our culture and society also must adapt and must change. As Christians, we are to be changing. Did you know that? Did you know God again did not create us to remain the same? If I can remind you from the book of Romans, God said that we should be transformed by the renewing of our minds. I'm telling you, you can't be transformed without being changed. Again, none of us are the same in here. None. Sometimes we, we try to flatter people from time to time, and uh, if, you've, if you've not seen someone or been around someone, you've probably heard this before, someone would come in and they will say, oh, you haven't changed a bit. Can I just say, as flattering as that is, they probably lie about other things too. Because you have changed. And if you haven't, you should be worried. And you should probably see a doctor. I'm just saying. Because, and I'm not talking about just in a, in a physical sense. I, 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 have a, I have an aunt and uncle that, uh, it's my mom's sister and her brother. And, and I, I will say for them, they have, they have aged greatly. And what I mean by that is... I, they don't look any differently to me than they did when I was in high school. My aunt still has, she's 73 years old, still has a full head of black hair. And she doesn't dye it. Once gray hair. Can't get it. It's weird, isn't it? But you know what to say to them? Oh, you haven't changed. Maybe in their appearance a little bit, but they've changed. They've changed. I'll tell you one way my uncle has changed. Uh, he, he, he used to play from the white tees. But Bobby doesn't play from the white tees anymore. He's changed. You know how else people change? We hopefully we learn some more, don't we? Listen, if you haven't grown in biblical knowledge over the last 25 years, you should be concerned about that. You should be concerned about that. Because God created us to be transformed in the renewing of our mind, and that never stops. It's not just in a physical appearance. Please don't take somebody saying, you've not changed as a compliment, because it's really not. Hopefully we've changed. Hopefully we've grown. We have to understand that moving forward is going to require some changes. It's going to require some changes. Let me give you the second thing this morning. Because if we're going to understand as we move forward, we have to understand again, and I'm going to go through this one a little more quickly. We have to understand the culture that we're to reach. I want you to see Joshua here. Joshua, 40 years prior to this, as the children of Israel crossed the Red Sea, and they went out, they were ready to go to the Promised Land. And Moses said, okay, I've got a plan. He said, y'all, we're going to move forward, but I need you to select one man from each tribe to meet me here at this time. And so they did. They selected one man from each tribe, 12 altogether. And they gathered themselves to Moses, and Moses said, I want you to go spy out the land. And I want you to bring back a report of what it is that we're going to face. So, they did, all 12 of them, and they went and they spied out the land. 
Now, because I know the crowd here, how many were bad? How many were good? Ten were bad, two were good. You know that because you went to Sunday school. Not everyone in this culture knows that. Ten came back and said, Ooh, we're dead. We can't do it. Two came back and said, We got this. No problem. God's going to deliver us. Are there giants? Yeah, but who cares? You should see the size of the grapes there. You should see the milk and the honey. Oh my goodness, what a land. But all the people said, Oh, no. We're not going. We'll stay here. And stay there they did. Joshua was one of those two that said, with God, no problem. Did you see the change that happened in Joshua? Did you see this? I don't know if you noticed it or not, but Joshua's in charge now, and he says, we need to know what's going on in the land. He says, um... Give me two, because I don't need ten extras. Did you notice that? Can I just fill you in? It's a same, but it's a change. Joshua understood we have to understand the culture. We have to understand what's happening. We have to understand what we're going to face. But I'm going to change it up a little bit and just give me two. And he sent those two spies out to see how the culture and the landscape had changed. Because it's interesting to me, Joshua's even sending spies out. I mean, think through this with me, please. Why is he sending spies out to spy out a land that he had already been to? Shouldn't Joshua had known? what it is they would face? Shouldn't Joshua had been ready and prepared? I mean, he had been there before. The thing is that Joshua knew something that you and I have also know is that things change in 40 years, don't they? Things change. And so Joshua said, give me two, go out, spy the land. And they did. And they encountered Jericho. Because Joshua said, you go and you check out Jericho too. Jericho wasn't Jericho 40 years before. Things had changed. And as they got to Jericho and they got there, they, they come in and they go to the, to the harlot's house and she, of course, hides them. But they found something out there. The culture, it had changed. Something happened in 40 years. They had heard of Israel. And more importantly than them hearing of Israel, you know what they heard about? They heard about God. And what God was capable of. And what God had done for the children of Israel. Because when they came in, you want to know why she hid them? It wasn't because she was afraid of what might happen to them. It wasn't because she was afraid of what might happen uh, by the king of Jericho and any of that. She was afraid of what would happen to her from God. That's why she hid them. Remember Rahab, we just went through uh, the book of Hebrews in chapter 11, and we found this woman, not even an Israelite, not even of Israel, in the great hall of faith, ladies and gentlemen, because she had faith. Not faith in Israel, not faith in these two spies, she had faith in God. The God of Israel. 
Notice verse 9. She says, I know. Woo-hoo. She's not I've heard about. She said, not I think. She said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. Hello. She said, I know that the Lord hath given you the land. And that your terror is fallen upon us. And that the inhabitants of the land faint because of you. She says, we've heard of you. We've known you've been, you were coming. We just didn't know when or how long. But you're here now. Listen. We have a culture. And where to go to. A little differently than this. Of course, we know that Israel's going to come in and they're going to destroy Jericho. We're not sent to destroy anything, are we? We're sent to bring life. We're sent to bring hope. We're sent to bring change to people's lives. In order to do that, we have to understand the culture. You know, as these people were afraid of what would happen, you know, all throughout our culture, all throughout our society, there are people everywhere that are fearful to die. Afraid to die. Have no idea what's going to happen after death. Scared. You know what they need? They need hope. You know what they need? They need Jesus. They need a Savior. But you know what they need? Someone to tell them. We have to understand our culture. A culture that's hurting. A culture that's lost. Yes, a culture that's vile. But why wouldn't they be with no Savior? With no God in their life? We have to understand the culture. Can I say number three? If we're going to move forward, what does that mean? And make a plan of it, we have to understand the challenges. Fake. Judgmental. Narrow-minded. Hypocritical. Angry. Unthinking. And unkind. Let me say those again. Fake. Judgmental. Narrow-minded, hypocritical, angry, unthinking, and unkind. Any idea what I've just described? That is often the adjectives that are used by the world, by the culture, to describe churches and Christians. Does that offend you? Or worst yet, does that describe you? Oh, no. Let me say those again. Fake, judgmental, narrow-minded, hypocritical, angry, unthinking, unkind. That's what the world considers to be the mentality of churches today. And Christians themselves. We have some challenges ahead. Moving forward is not going to be without its challenges. How do we change these adjectives? Just by saying, well, I'm not fake, doesn't make us not fake sometimes. To not be fake means we must be authentic. Say, well, I'm not judgmental. We probably are. Narrow-minded, hypocritical, angry, 
You ever, you ever approach someone about being angry and the response is, well, I'm not angry. If you're married, you've probably had that conversation. Rachel has asked me before, why are you angry? And I've said, I'm not angry. He's like, well, yeah, you are. And then I'm like, no, I'm not, you know. Uh, and it's one of those conversations. But listen, I'm not saying they're always right in every one of these, but sometimes if the shoe fits, we must wear it. It's going to be a challenge in changing the identity and the approach within our culture. But that's where the change comes in. Where I see churches failing over and over and over again is because we have failed to connect with people. We failed to complete our mission that God has given us. We sit back and we stop and we say things like, okay, so where do we need to change? We're getting ready to, to update our facilities here in just a couple of months, Lord willing. May I just tell you that updating our facilities will not change who we are? Listen, updating our facilities will not make Bailey Road Baptist Church more attractive to one guest that comes through the doors. You say, well, why are we doing it then? Well, because it needs done. But if we think in our minds that changing the way that we appear to be is going to affect longing and lasting impactful change, it won't. It doesn't. Embracing technology in the last couple of years, uh, we, we have uh, embraced some technology. We're going to use it this evening, Lord willing. We'll watch online to keep people safe and being out on the roads. We'll embrace that. I think we should. I think it's a great change. But just embracing technology or changing a venue or dimming some lights is not going to make a lasting, impactful change. There must be a change in the substance, not in technology or venue. There must be a change in our connection. That'll be a challenge. Again, a change in technology and upgrade in facilities, it's sometimes necessary as we move forward. It's not going to be a cure-all. It's not going to be a cure-all. It's definitely not going to move us forward. And that's going to be part of the challenge. Here in the last less than two years, you've gotten a new pastor. I'm here. I'm not a silver bullet. It's not a save-all, a brightly packaged marketing strategy. Not a guarantee for growth. These are all part of the challenges we face as we move forward. That's why we have to have a plan. That's why we have to have God in the plan. And that's what I want to give you this fourth point this morning, and I'm closing. We have to understand the culture. We have to understand the challenges. We have to understand there's a change. But we must understand the cause. If we don't understand the cause, any plan we make to move forward is all in vain. If we don't understand the cause, every step we take is pointless. But I tell you this morning, there is a cause. Rahab said, we've heard how the Lord dried up the water of the Red Sea. 
when you came out of Egypt and what you did unto the kings. Verse 11, she said, as soon as we heard it, our hearts did melt. There did remain any more courage. Neither did there remain any more courage in any man because of you. For the Lord your God, He is God in heaven above and in earth beneath. She she begged him. She said, would you just save me, my family? Notice verse 14. The men answered, our life for yours. Our life for yours. You know what they said? They said, we understand. We'll make you a deal. Our life for yours. I don't know if you know how huge that is. What they were saying is, if if we don't spare your life, may God take ours. You're saving us at this point. And we promise that we'll deal the same with you when the time comes. These two spies realized something. It wasn't about them. It was about ministry. It was about ministry. We have to get out of the place and out of the mindset where we only think about what does this do for me? And that goes all the way down to what does that do for the the congregation that's immediately here? We need to have a mentality that it is our life or theirs. That's the mentality we must have. That's the cause. Jesus told His disciples, Go ye therefore into all the world, teaching, baptizing, discipling. I'm paraphrasing. That's the cause. To teach them, to receive them, to lead them to Jesus. To see them baptized, to disciple them, to grow and walk in the nurture and admonition of the Lord, and then to send them out, to bring more in, to build more up, to send more out, to bring more in, to build more up. The cycle never ends. That is our cause. Here is the problem within a culture in which we live in. The idea of strengthening edifying believers in making disciples as being our cause, sometimes we we get caught up in, in the prosperity of things. We get caught up in, in, again, within our culture, which is extremely hard, that we keep the right focus and the right cause that God has called us to because it's so easy to go off script. It's so easy to get out of focus. It's so easy, notice again, I gave you that history lesson in the very beginning. It's so easy to go from Abraham and his cause of just following God That was Abraham's cause. God, I'm going to follow you. And that was Isaac's cause. And Jacob, he got off a little bit. But notice, by the time you get to the Pharisees, they they didn't even come close to following God. They followed what they wanted. It is very difficult. And part of the challenge that we face as we move forward is understanding what our cause is. Our cause is not to build the largest church in America. Our cause is not to have more people here at Bailey Road than any other church in town. That's not our cause. Our cause is not numbers, but yet our cause 
If I could say it this way, for a lack of better terms, our cause is numbers because numbers represent people and people are dying and going to hell. But again, that can be skewed. That can be skewed. Because if we just focus on the numbers, we forget about our cause. And it just becomes about getting as many people in here as we can so that we can do what we want to do. We've missed the mark and we've lost the cause. And it all becomes in vain. The cause is discipleship. The cause is personal growth. And it's difficult in deciphering motives and ambition. That's part of the challenges we face. It's not about the bodies. It's about disciples. Our cause is to reach people for Christ and make a lasting impact in their lives. How do we do that? Well, we must understand that change is necessary. You say, well, I don't like change, preacher. Change is happening. We just have to understand it. We have to embrace it. Change is necessary. We have to understand the culture in which we minister. I hope that if I have taught you anything in these last couple of years, that, that it's, not, it's not about simply complaining about our culture. Complaining does not bring about change. It actually alienates. It's not about, listen, listen, it is not about accepting culture. It's about understanding the culture. It's about understanding the culture so that we might meet them where they are at so that we have a better idea of how to reach them. Bible still says, love not the world, neither are things that are in the world. The Bible still says, be ye holy, for I am holy. So I'm not talking about embracing the way the world does things, but I am talking about understanding why they do what they do. We have to understand there are challenges. By the time... These spies went out and they led them down the side of the wall. I want to leave you the last two verses here. They went on their way and they made it back to the camp. In verse 23, the Bible says, So the two men returned and descended from the mountain and passed over and came to Joshua, the son of Nun, and told him all the things that befell him, befell them. And they said unto Joshua, Truly, the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. Now listen, there are challenges that we face. But with God, challenges are light. Yes, we face challenges. But notice that. He said, Truly the Lord hath delivered into our hands all the land, for even all the inhabitants of the country do faint because of us. The gospel still works, folks. The gospel is still powerful. The gospel still changes lives. The Bible still disciples people. It still works. Doesn't mean it doesn't come without challenges. We have to understand there's a change that's necessary. We have to understand there's a culture which we minister, challenges we face. There's a cause to which we've been called to carry out. We must understand the direction that we must go in order to carry out this cause. We can't we can't get on the bus and just sit in the bus and not move the bus. That's not a very fun trip, is it, Brother John? 
So John drives a bus. Could you imagine just doing circles in the parking lot? How many of you want to go on that ride? I don't, certainly. We're going to have to have a plan. The plan must be to move forward. Because we've sat in the parking lot long enough, amen? Amen? It's time to go. Time to get loaded up. Some have gotten off the bus, got back on the bus. Are we leaving yet? We're leaving. Getting the plan together. To carry out this cause means we must go forward. We must go forward. We're going to see as we move throughout this book what it is to go forward, what it means. I hope you'll stay along for the ride. Say, how fast are we going to get there? It's not about the speed. It's simply about moving forward. We're getting the plan. Let's go. Every head bowed, every eye closed this morning.